Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Demartini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome to our good news segment. I'm Dr. James Thomas joining me here today. And, you know, before I introduce him and talk a little bit about his role, director for the Center for Heart Valve Disease and Academic Affairs um, and the Bloom Cardiovascular Institute of Northwestern Medicine, Northwestern Medicine, again, is joining us here. Before we get into it, uh, you all have heard me share stories. My dad uh, passed away uh, heart disease. My stepmom, literally her heart exploded. And so when we talk, my uncle, my favorite uncle at a very young age, the same thing. So when we talk about the heart and heart valve disease, it gets my attention. But what gets my attention more is what Dr. James Thomas is talking about, this cardiologist at Northwestern Medicine and focusing on AI, artificial intelligence, machine learning. This is the new world of medicine science. Dr. Uh, Dr. I'm going to call you Dr. James. Dr. Thomas, look, thank you so much for joining me here today. I often think about what if my folks were around when you were making these discoveries? What would the game-changing world look like? What, it, what would be the answer to that question, perhaps? <laughs> Well, thanks so much, Dr. Pat, and it's my pleasure to join you and your listeners here. And, um, you know, the whole key to, to preventing tragedies uh, like you described for your, your father and stepmother is early detection of disease or preventive detection, detection of a tendency toward a disease. Uh, you know, there's, there are AI algorithms that can, can look in your eye at your retina and you know, doctors are trained to a certain extent to recognize diabetes and, and high blood pressure, but, but the computer is so much more, can take in so much more information and it can warn you that maybe there's diabetes down, down the road mm. five years. Mm-hmm. You can see the early changes, you can intervene early and you can prevent the ravages of these chronic diseases. You know, I'm thinking about these collaborative ventures, if, if for lack of a better word, excuse my ignorance on this, but these partnership ventures, they're so important. They're so really exciting for people. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about the discoveries. And the reason that I am is I just went through two knee replacements and I was astonished at watching what the robot robotics was did. I mean, it was just I mean, it was so sci fi for me that I forgot that I'm living in the century I'm living in. I want to ask you, what is the future as you look at this for things like robotics, but 
what it means to save lives with this technology, because that's really what we're talking about now, right? That's right. Okay. That's right. Good. Well, I, I think, um, you know, it's, it's helpful to look back a little bit and see, yeah. see how we've gotten here. And, and, you know, concepts of artificial intelligence have been around 60, 70 years. They were talking about this in the 50s. And a lot of the same um, computer algorithms were, were being proposed, neural networks and um, a computer learning. But the computers were so primitive. It really is only in the last 10 years that we've got enough computer power that we can um, uh, actually make these um, uh, make these algorithms work, and we've got enough um, uh, annotated examples. That just means a ton of pictures of pathology or echocardiograms or a whole slew of these things that you can train these algorithms on. So, so for instance, um, we've been doing a, a partnership with, with a company on the West Coast uh, that is trying to bring the stethoscope into the 21st century. You know, the stethoscope really hasn't changed in 200 years. It's, um, um, uh, you know, a bell on the chest and two tubes into the yeah. ears. Yeah. Uh, but now we have a, a stethoscope that, first of all, amplifies the sound so you mm. can hear it better, uh, but you can also send those sound waves up to the cloud or an AI algorithm that has been trained on thousands and thousands of uh, examples of heart sounds uh, will tell you if there's a murmur and what it's likely to be. And we've, we've now shown uh, in a recent publication that we can detect severe aortic stenosis in uh, about 93% of cases there. So the idea is you democratize medicine. You take the expertise that may really only exist in a few major centers and send it out to, um, um, you know, rural areas, to underserved inner city areas, to the developing world. And you're able to detect disease, hopefully in time to do something about it or before some tragedy occurs. I mean, this is really, let's just talk about how we have brought the future to the present. Because Dr. Thomas, when I hear you talking about this, I mean, it is so exciting to be thinking about how we look at the past and historically what a patient may go through, understand Mm -hmm. the underpinnings of where the areas for, let me just call it areas for advancement may be in the science and the medicine. And then bringing that back full circle to really looking at the new technology that could come in combined with your knowledge, your experience, assessing the past to create a future for people to have optimal health. I mean, this really is an exciting, how should I call it, avenue of medicine, isn't it? It absolutely is. And, and, the idea is empowering people to do more with their health. Um, you know, we are, um, uh, one of my, my colleagues is um, uh, working uh, with the Apple Watch to monitor patients uh, who may have a history of atrial fibrillation. And he can detect if they go into atrial fibrillation and immediately start a blood thinner that may prevent a stroke 
and then it, if the if there's no more atrial fibrillation over a month or some other period of time, then it's safe to stop the the blood thinner, and it just keeps monitoring along. Um, but you catch it as soon as it happens there. Let me just ask you this question. One is how do people find out more? And then I want to get to the question of how can patients and their doctors come together, one, to ask the right questions and then to benefit from it? Well, first, uh, to your question of where you can learn more, we have a a website for our overall um, AI and medicine um, institute there. And so if you just put... Uh, we actually call it augmented intelligence. We don't call it artificial intelligence because the emphasis is not we're replacing anything. We are, uh, we are developing helpers to work with us. Um, and so if you just put augmented intelligence in medicine at Northwestern into a Google search, you will come, you know, it'll take you straight to, uh, to our website there. And um, and I think, you know, you make a real point. Now, now we do real basic um, AI research and we have, uh, have students, um, you know, young cardiologists that are training uh, in the trenches with our uh, computer engineers and, um, and, and learning the, the, the real basics of how to do machine learning. But if it only stays in academia, and gets published in journals and doesn't get out to the patients, right. um, then it's, uh, you know, where's really the value right. in that? Yeah, I'm totally there with you. You know, bringing these ideas to the forefront and creating dialogue, I, I almost wish, this is my wish, having got, I, you know, when I went through this knee surgery, I loved researching this. And what I started to do is go online and to look for other people that had similar experiences. And there was just a handful that were wanting to talk about this and change the landscape of what's available for people. I would love to see a forum created so that we can bring both patients and doctors and communities involved in this because we now live in a world of AI technology and we now know what it's like to be able to use the internet and things like Zoom. Because what you're talking about is so seriously important that without making the connection you just pointed out, it may take us a long time to really educate people about what they can do to save their lives. And that's the accelerated plan that I see in you doing these interviews. Yes, that's that's absolutely true. Well, we have we have a a, a um, one of our cardiologists has developed an algorithm mm. that um, wow. uh, looks at all of our patient records every day to detect wow. patients who may have undiagnosed heart failure. And we've got uh, mm. another company we've worked with has uh, developed an echo echocardiograph that uses AI to guide novices to get diagnostic images so that we can really, uh, um, you know, take it to areas where there isn't ultrasound available and we can, uh, we can make uh, diagnoses uh, straight off from that. Wow. I want to thank you for today. I know your time is limited and short, but the message is powerful uh, and visionary. Um, Dr. Thomas, again, how can people find out more about this and I'd love to know your personal message for today. 
yeah, the point your Google machine towards augmented intelligence in medicine at Northwestern, and you'll go straight to the uh, to the overall website. It will link to a lot of these other efforts. And um, my my overall message is: do not fear um, uh, artificial intelligence. The robots are not taking over. These are going to be assistance to us to oh, yeah. make your doctors better. Yeah, that's exactly what my message was when I talked on air about my surgeries. It didn't replace my doctor. My doctor was navigating and the trust begins there. Thank you so much for today, doctor. All right. Thanks so much, Dr. All right. Pat, and you good bet. luck to you. And everybody out there, let's take a short break. Again, more more information about how we can become empowered in mind, body, and spirit. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our good news segment. I got to tell you, this is good news. What we're about to talk about today, I believe, is one of the foundational, pivotal points in what we think about learning. Why am I going to say that? I come from and worked for Bell Labs for 25 years. I know how young and naive and ignorant in a lot of ways about science, technology, engineering, and math. But I will tell you, my, my, my motivation for getting a PhD had very little to do with the PhD and had a lot to do with spending a lot of time with people in Bell Labs and engineering, Arno Penzias, bagels with the Arno. Why are we talking about this today? Jody Grant, Executive Director, After School Alliance, Laura Overdeck, Chair, Overdeck Family Foundation, and Founder and President, Bedtime Math. STEM, Science, Technology, Engineering, and Math. There was something about these people that motivated me, barely graduated in high school, to say, I need to learn more. There's something to what these people are doing. But how do we get our children engaged? Jody, Laura, welcome. It's great to have you both. Yeah, thank you for having us. Thank you. So not everybody's going to get my Bell Labs experience. I happen to be starting at the lowest level in Bell Labs in the mailroom. And guess what's what I got? I got building 15. So that had to give me top clearance. And they sent me a 17-year-old that was a crazy child to deliver mail to some of the most brilliant people on the planet. But boy did this stuck with me. It stuck with me forever. Can you talk about the importance first? I want to come out of the gate with this. Where we are today, where the gap is, and why we really need to not just mention STEM, not just mention science, technology, engineering, and math, but clearly embed this. Uh, Jody, do you want to go first and then Laura? And then we'll mix yeah. it up. Great. So, um, so I, I, I love how you frame that because what our study was looking at um, is we went and we interviewed parents and we were looking at the opportunities for our kids to be exposed to STEM learning in the after school space. And this is so important because that's the kind of learning that brings um, science and math and engineering and technology alive, where it's hands-on, where it's engaged, where you have a chance to work with mentors and see occupations like you did that you might not have even known existed, um, you know, just sitting in a classroom. And so we want all of our kids to have these opportunities because we know that's where the spark is really lit. Um, 
And what we're finding is that there has been a growth in STEM offerings and after-school programs, which we're very excited about. So for kids that are lucky enough to go to after-school programs, there are more opportunities to actually do this engaged STEM learning. But what we also found is that for far too many kids, the opportunities don't exist. So on any given day, there are 25 million kids whose parents want them to be in after-school programs, but they either can't afford them or they don't exist in their communities. So we have got to be doing more for the sake of our kids and for the sake of our own economic future. There's something about your life that said to you, wait a minute, here I am. I am BA in astrophysics from Princeton, an MBA from Wharton School of Business, honorary DE, right? Doctorate in engineering from Stevens. Mm -hmm. Something got you fired up to say, oh, oop, wait, I got to do something. I better create this foundation. What was that? Well, I'll tell you, I think it's the contrast between what I had as a kid where I really fell in love with math and science and what I've seen as an adult in our culture, which just frankly hates math. <laughs> I mean, I was lucky as a kid to grow up in a household where I had no flashcards. My parents were all about just weaving math into things. We were a very maker household. We didn't mm. know that term back then, but my mom cooked with me, you know, so I'd be using teaspoons, tablespoons, fractions. My dad uh, did a lot of carpentry as a hobby. I got to use unsafe power tools <laughs> at a really young age. You know, you got to know your 16th of an inch. Um, what I see as an adult is that a lot of America is nervous about math. You know, mm. adults are afraid to calculate the tip. We've been swamped uh, with numbers and people are just flabbergasted. They just don't even know what to do because it's all fractions and percents, the same stuff that you use to calculate the tip. Um, and I think it's caught everybody flat-footed. How do you question the news? How do you know that things make sense? Basic, you know, just the population at large needs to understand numbers and science. And then at a second level, of course, we need high flyers like you getting a PhD to go on and invent the vaccine that's going to save us, right? We always need our next generation of innovators. We need those people too. So I'm hoping that with the mm -hmm. pandemic, it's really raised awareness around that. Oh my gosh. I think it's raised awareness about so many things. We can do a whole nother hour show on that. See, this is the conversation I want to go to now. I went to your website and I love what you're doing. First of all, I love infographics. Afterschoolalliance.org. Everybody got that? Afterschoolalliance.org. But I want to ask you this question, each of you. What can we do to close the gap? Because first of all, I was impressed that some of your numbers went up. Like what? Right? Mm -hmm. But where is the gap? And I know you both are here to fill it. Tell me if you don't mind what each of you sees as your vision for this and what you are so excited about getting done. And, you know, I'm going to go backwards now. Let's kick it up with Laura and then we'll go to Jody. How's that sound? Sure. Perfect. Well, just to set the stage with some numbers, I think we forget that in a given year, kids are awake for about 5,500 hours. They spend 1,100 in school. That's it. In, even in normal times, kids are awake and not in school much more time than they're in school. And all that time is an opportunity to keep learning. And the fact is, wealthier kids, kids with resources, not only tend to be in better schools because of these inequities, but they also have the resources to have better after school. They keep learning. They do math club. They do robotics clubs. If you're a kid who doesn't have those resources, you're probably 
in a weaker school district and not getting access to good after school. So you're falling ahead. You're falling behind twice. And that is the gap we have to fill. We've got to get that access to kids because as Jody was saying earlier, after school is a chance to ignite their love of learning. It gets the flywheel going. And then when parents see that, the parents and kids together can push their school to, to follow suit and, and really make sure that the learning continues. <clears throat> I want to ask you for this. Not only uh, how do we find out more information, but how can we, <clears throat> what's the word I'm looking for? Fire this up. What are each of you looking to do to just get fired up? I know these interviews are part one, but I, pr- I pretty much think you both got something going on. So I thank you for the platform because, um, first of all, I wanted to go back and say that while we are seeing an increase in the opportunities for kids to learn STEM and after school, the problem is we are seeing a decrease in the yep. opportunities for kids to attend after school. Yep. So we have this huge problem and it's particularly true for our low-income families who can't afford these programs on their own and it is particularly true for our kids of color and our immigrant families and it's not just an urban issue, it's also very much a rural issue that um, we need more programs to be serving our kids. And my vision um, is that we stop thinking about schools as the only place where our kids can learn. I think that schools are extremely important, but as we all know, and as Laura has said, um, kids are learning all the time. And there are so many opportunities to learn outside the classroom, as you talk about, you know, your experience at Bell Labs, where we want to be thinking about a community learning ecosystem, where we're tapping into our businesses and having internships and apprenticeships, and we're tapping into virtual learning opportunities, and we're tapping into outdoor eds and community-based organizations and community colleges and faith-based organizations and science and tech um, programs to really maximize the types of places and the types of teachers and mentors our kids are exposed to. And the last piece I was going to add is this is possible. Um, I'm not dreaming. There is right now um, the federal law that is bringing COVID dollars relief to educators Mm -hmm. can be used to create these programs and expand these programs. So it explicitly says in the law, you can use it to partner with community-based organizations to create after-school programs and expand after-school programs. We need to convince our school districts to do that. We need to convince them on the ground to take this big um, amount of money that they're getting and not just keep it within the walls of the school to recognize that we have to expand our learning. What I really hope for is that we get some funding so that, you know, folks like you can get out. And honestly, I don't like to say this, but it's old school, go door to door and say, did you know in your area, your district, you can do this and what kind of help you need? Because this is our future. Jody, Laura, I would love to know from each of you what your personal message is. What do you want to leave us with? And certainly what can we do? how to find out more, and thank you for putting infographics on your website. (laughs) Well, I can jump in with one thought to share, which is that um, the the ability and the need to fall in love with math and science and propagate all this Mm. spans all ages. It's the adults as well as the kids. 
Um, you know, I know with my bedtime math app out of my nonprofit, it serves up a funny story every night with math questions. We have adults write to us and say, you know what, this is the first time I'm enjoying math. I'm doing it with my kid. That is important because the adults signal to the kids that math and science and engineering are cool. And that's the conversation we have to get going. And we see that you can get it going. At any age, someone can still fall in love with these subjects and then pass that on a good kind of contagion to the kids. So any adult really can step up and say, you know what? I'm not going to say, oh, I'm just not good at math or I'm not a science person. We don't have to say that anymore. We're going to move on and really signal because um, we need to get this next generation on its feet. They've had immense challenges these last couple of years in particular. Um, And it it starts with the adult in tandem with them. And I would just encourage all your listeners to go to www.afterschoolalliance.org. We have our infographics. um, We also have all sorts of information to really help you convince your school districts to do more of this. So if you're lucky enough to be in a place that has these programs, um, let's expand them to reach more kids. And if you're not, um, we have every kinds of, every bit of resource and data and talking points um, that you need to help Mm -hmm. make this happen in your community. So I'm hopeful. I think it's really paradoxical and ironic that the three of us are women and we really know that really one of the (laughs) gaps that we're, I'm laughing myself, right? That one of the gaps that we do need to address are inequities that exist in women and people of color and underrepresented in STEM fields. This to me is the greatest opportunity for this country to soar above all others. If we fill this gap, can you imagine where we'd be, ladies? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you imagine? All right. I want to thank we'll keep you working both. On it. All right. Thank you. Yeah. But please, please, please keep thank being you. Energizer Bunnies. Please. Can you do that? Can you just keep talking? Yes. Get yourself a podcast. Um, I'm not kidding. Thank you so much. Thank you all for tuning us in, turning us on. And we're not fooling around this. You've got to look at this afterschoolalliance.org. You have children, you have grandchildren. Talk to your school districts. Tell them about the funding. Get in action and close the gap. We'll see you next time. Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Transformation Talk Radio. Welcome to the Boss Up Babe radio show, helping babes show up, boss up, and thrive. With number one best-selling author, global influencer, and ultimate boss babe, Carissa Adkins. Carissa is a health and wellness expert and CEO of the 365 Daily Hustle. Carissa helps mompreneurs and career-focused women boss up and reclaim their healthiest life. 
She is a pro at cutting through the BS and creating massive breakthroughs that help women create healthy routines and habits that facilitate personal and professional growth. Are you ready to reclaim your best life, take action, and be a badass boss babe? Let's get to it. What up, what up, everyone? What is up? I'm your host, Carissa Atkins, and you're listening to the Boss Up Babe Show. Now, today, I am here with an amazing boss babe and coach, and she is Megan. I wanted to drum roll if I could get one of those. That'd be awesome. Um, but yeah, I'm so excited to be able to bring Megan on to the Boss Up Babe Show. Now, Megan regards herself as a speaker, or a seeker from a very young age, born and raised in a generation where personal growth was not the norm. She was raised into being told who to become and how to fit in. The result, a lot of suffering, drugs, anxiety, and overwhelm, and of course, depression followed Megan with that story. Now, Megan has spent the last 20 years steeped in the ancient traditions of yoga, meditation, and modern science on how to actually create lasting change. Megan is a mama of two, and in my opinion, a total badass boss babe. She coaches mothers on how to get out of overwhelm and depletion so that they can live lives of vitality, enthusiasm, and she shows their kids, she shows these mamas how to teach their kids how to do it too. So Megan, welcome to the Boss Up Babe show. How are you today? Yay, so good. Thank you for having me. So happy Absolutely. to be here. Good, good, good. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to um, have you as my first guest um, and on for episode two. So now, y'all know that I am a big believer that every woman has a story, a journey, and a purpose. We all experience setbacks and hardships and struggles and moments of challenges in our lives. And as women, we can either choose to stay stuck or we can choose to boss the hell up and live our best life. But bossing up takes courage and strength and willingness to change. So Megan, I'm so excited because I think that I found that every one that I ask um, what the word boss up means to them, we all have our own kind of definition of it. So what would you say um, when the first comes to mind when you hear the words boss up? First thing that comes to mind is level up, um, courage, taking the reins of your life, um, getting out of victim and really, uh, yeah, taking the reins of your life to really take responsibility for your life and creating it. I love that. Oh, and I totally resonate with the whole, like just level up and, and Mm -hmm. you have to take your life in your own hands if you're wanting to change and make changes. There's a, like, there's like a hard ball. You kind of need to start to get to play with yourself, a seriousness where you're just like, all right, enough with already sorry am I allowed to say that sorry (laughs) Sorry. we'll be killed if we can't (laughs) um but just like cut the crap already like I'm just I'm I'm done I'm done living stuck I'm done living in a place where I'm not feeling in alignment I'm done feeling the heaviness the weightiness the you know just the cycle of feeling unfulfilled you know and so you got to get to a point where you're just 
you know, whether it's your bottom or, you know, whatever your bottom is, you know, um, usually it comes in the form, you know, for me, it came in the form of like anxiety, you know, it was just like, wake up, wake up. <laughs> yeah. Or you're not going to wake up anymore. <laughs> like literally. It's true. It's true. And I think a lot of women can relate to like, we feel this, but we don't know how to get unstuck. Right. I mean, I was there for many, many years. So knowing that the word boss up really resonates with you with like level up, take the reins back at, you know, your life back into your hands. Tell me about a time in your life where you had to level up and boss up and reclaim your best life mm -hmm. that really got you where you are today. Man. All right. Which one? <laughs> uh, God, I feel like I'm like in it right now too. like just another level you know, because quite honestly, I, I believe that we're, as long as we're humans, we're going to be constantly evolving mm -hmm. if we choose it, right? Mm -hmm. There's always going to be another level of evolution. Um, and so the first, I, I'm not going to go with the first time necessarily, but the time that I most recently um, leveled up, bossed up was when I was pregnant with my son. Mm. And I had already been, that was four years uh, four years ago, four, a little over four years ago, um, when I was probably, I don't know, 18 ish weeks pregnant. And, uh, I went for a walk in the woods and I just had this visceral feeling, um, where it was like this, this voice inside. It was like, it was like, or like he was almost talking to me. I, you know, it was that, that's kind of the, like the level of which I felt mm -hmm. where it was like, mama, it's time. Like it's time to do your work now so that, and I, I understood it as like, you got to do your work now so that you're not leaving this stuff with me. <laughs> like that was the level of like clarity that I got. Um, and it was then, and like I opened up my yoga studio, I really, and, and, and then from there, it's just been an evolution of, and even as I speak to it now, it's just like, you know, it wasn't like, that it was that moment of clarity of that point in the journey where it was going to be like, this is, this is your work now for a while, you know, mm -hmm. this is your work for a while. It's, you're going to start it now, but it's not going to necessarily be over for a little while. And even as I say it, um, I'm realizing how true that, that really is for me, <laughs> you know, how it's just a, um, a process and an evolution of becoming mm -hmm. not of getting it perfect. Right. You know? And so you take, you start your, your, like I, I started, my way down the path. Like I, I took that first step and it was like, the first step for me was like opening my yoga studio. Um, and then it was enrolling and investing in coaching and then in a coaching program. And now where I teach mother, you know, so it's like, it's been this constant journey of stepping up and leveling up and an evolution of, and a process of becoming, because it's not like there's an end point. No. No. Right. And while well, you bring up, let me just ask you first off, because I've been in that stuck state. I've been to the moment where I've hit rock bottom and all of rock. And I, I felt like my son was crying out to me um, as I was sitting there. Um, however, why choose yoga? Like, how did you land on yoga? Mm -hmm. um, you said, you know, you went from like this aha moment that I believe we all have. We just have to slow down enough to like listen and, and find it and hear it. Um, whether it be from nature or the universe or God or our own children or our own intuition, but why, how, how did you choose yoga? I'm curious. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. Um, I got into yoga, uh, actually in college, I had to fill a phys ed requirement. 
Um, and I, and I just really took to the practice. It was always really physical. And so I really liked the physical practice of it, got out of it for a couple of years. Um, and then I was going through very, this is when I was really getting, um, going down a path where I was, it was not a good path of drugs. And it really led me to a lot of anxiety, um, and overwhelm. I was in college, straight A student, but I got to this point where I couldn't even sleep. I couldn't even focus in school. Um, it was really challenging, really challenging time. And I went into this meditation retreat with my sister at the time, and it was healing in a lot of ways. Um, and I got this mantra out of it, which was, you are not your thoughts. Hmm. And I kept taking that. I took that with me because I was so weighted by the busyness of my mind at that time. And I couldn't get a way out. So I just held to that. I am not my thoughts. It got me to a place of connection to something beyond Mm -hmm. what I was experiencing day in and day out, anxiety, like overwhelming anxiety. Um, And so at that point I had already been into a yoga practice, but I was at that point really into the gym, you know, and I was physically fit, but emotionally unfit. Right. And so I went back to a yoga practice and therapy and all these other modalities. I was like, I have, I have a choice here. This was like the first time I leveled up. I was okay. like, I have a real choice. Level here. one of level up. <laughs> yeah. This was like, definitely. I was like, I have a choice. I can continue on trajectory that I'm on, which is going to lead me to God knows where. Sure. Um, probably not talking, certainly not talking to you right now. Um, and, or I can, I can start to really care for myself. And I, and, and I chose that because I was like, this, this alternative feels entirely too much and feels pretty crappy and I don't want to be here anymore. And so I went back to my yoga mat and the teacher in whom I was in the room and I I remember it clear as day, I just cried on my mat and I like face down because it was the first time that I had actually heard in a physical practice. And I knew yoga was healing, but in, in this physical practice where I was encouraged to feel everything and that what I was feeling was valid. And I had never been told that before. Hmm. And I just like this cathartic release of just being like, this is, this is my path home. Hmm. This is it. And so I knew that my yoga was just going to be part of my journey for the rest of my life. I had 0.0 idea of what that was going to look like, that I was going to be a yoga teacher, that I was going to be a meditation teacher, that I was going to open a studio, that I was going to like, I had zero idea of where it was going to lead me. I just knew that the practice itself, that I was going to be a lifelong student. I love that. I love that. Let me go back to, cause I know I read it in your bio and I was like, man, I did not grow up with like the, this is who you're going to be, you know, like this is fit in this little box, if you will, Carissa, and, and make sure you hit all the, the stepping stones along the way. So what, what was the idea that you thought you were like growing up? Um, what was the idea that you thought you w- were going to have to go into or be like, who were you told to be? I yeah. guess. Yeah. Well, geez. Um, growing up in an Irish Catholic family, um, don't feel, don't feel, Mm. feel it's not okay to feel it's not okay to be a sexual woman. It's not okay to own your womanhood, just to be quiet, to be, um, don't push buttons. Don't say what you really think. Don't be too out there. You know, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like it was just this place of like, you know, not, not showcasing who I really was. Um, And that was just all implicit, you know, it was all of these, 
cultural and familial, um, you know, traumas, if you will, that got passed down that I ancestral healing, you call it right. is the stuff that I, uh, you know, acquired into my belief system, um, that never fully resonated, that never really, uh, I was never encouraged to be the boisterous, energized girl that I was. It was like, no, just tame it. Just calm yeah. it down. Um, and any time that I did share anything, I, I, I felt ridiculed. I don't know that I actually was, but it felt that way. So it was never, I never really felt safe enough to really show who I was. Mm. Um, and so I felt very boxed in. Yeah. And I yeah. always felt like the black sheep of my family. Um, and again, not that I was, but it's just how I felt, you know, and, sure. and, and how it all sort of, you know, sifted out. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. And so leading me to a yoga practice was like the place where I was like, oh, that, you know, it, yoga um, and the practice and not just the asana practice, not just the physical practice, but the philosophy just teaches you to see what real truth is. And it yeah. teaches you to see what your real purpose is. And it's called Maya. It's this illusion. It's this veil that we sort of layer on all these different sheets that we layer on of beliefs and mind and emotions and the lens through which we see. And then yoga starts to peel that away so that you can really see into who you really are and then share that with the world, you know. That's crazy. So I'll be honest, like I've taken maybe two yoga classes in my entire life. <laughs> um, and, and I thought, I'm like, I love it. I meditate, like I'm the spiritual person. But I got in there and I realized one first thing, you can't have a ton of pre-workout and come straight from a Zumba class because I was like <laughs> wired up, right? I was like, oh, I can't even settle down. I got kicked out pretty much. Um, and then the second one, I was like, I was just I was like, this is just, I, I'm not in the right zone. Like, I, and maybe it was just, I was feeling a lot of emotions that day. And maybe I didn't want to break down. Like, I was like, this is a, you know, this is not a place to break down uh, and lose my shit, if you will. But it's, it's crazy. Cause I'm like, man, you, you learn all that through yoga and, and you figured out your life through, you know, starting level one was, was that yoga. Mm -hmm. um, I what I, what you all said with, you know, like when, when I heard you say, um, you know, I was told to, you know, not share emotions and not show this. And I just think play small. And I think a lot of yeah. women, we, we tend to play small instead and just like fit in with everybody um, mm -hmm. because of these old beliefs or limitations or, you know, again, stories that we've just brought on, um, you know, based on what our surroundings were as children. Um, but it's so fun, wouldn't you say? Um, and as a coach, isn't it fun to see women like transform into this like, holy crap, where have you been, woman? You know, yeah. would you say like, tell me a little bit more because I know you're a coach and I know mm -hmm. you bring clearly in the yoga into, you know, in, into your, into your practice, but tell me about a little bit about what you do as a coach. Yeah. Um, so I teach women, mothers, um, who are really depleted and overwhelmed and frustrated and tired and, um, how to get out of that, how to get out of that cycle of, because that is not our, that's not our true nature. And when you say, what is, what, well, what is my true nature? What does that actually mean? Yeah. Right. What the heck does that actually mean? <laughs> What's my, my true nature? Yeah. Okay. I get that. Right. There's this like element of like, well, you're, are normal. See, like we've normalized 
like overwhelm, we've normalized. And, and as moms adopting all of these beliefs that are coming at us, like you're not going to sleep until your kids are in college or you're never going to sleep again or whatever. Like, so we've even normalized this idea of, um, of how to care for ourselves as women and as mothers, that to be a good mother, you must sacrifice yourself and all of yourself and all of your needs and desires right? And we must sidestep our needs and desires in order to be a good mother. And so there's these beliefs that we, we've just sort of adopted. Um, and so a lot of what I do and help moms do is sort of untangle these beliefs so that we're operating at a place that is coming from adopting a new belief in which is, if, if I want to be a good mother, I better start taking care of myself. I better start living my purpose and my desires and my dreams. If my, if I want my kids to have any chance at doing it for themselves. Right. Right. We model the behavior that our children. And so if our nervous system is wired and tired is overwhelmed, what do you think our children are going to be learning? They're going to be learning exactly the strategies and the tools that we're adopting ourselves, which is let me check out and numb out. Mm hmm right? Whatever that's going to be with Netflix, with alcohol, with food, with even overworking out. Yeah. Right. You can even do it with overworking out. Like, so is rest, people don't think of rest as like productive, right? And so it's just basically taking habits, healthier habits, um, which I teach 10 Ayurvedic habits to reset that nervous system, um, and it's rooted in movement and meditation and eating and not even what to eat, but how to eat, mm -hmm. um, you know, doing it in a way that is uh, an optimal for the individual because we're not a one size fits all, right? What's going to balance you is not going to balance me because we have different energies that are in us. So I need something that's going to be really different. And so how do you do that in an individual approach? And so that's, what's the beauty of Ayurveda. Ayurveda takes into account that like, I'm a different energy than you. I have different makeup. And so mm -hmm. I don't necessarily need the exact same, um, routine as right. you do. And so I address those sorts of things as well for people. Cool. And I definitely, cause you know, this show is not just about like featuring this amazing story of yours, because again, I believe that every woman has one. And one of my mentors, um, Les Brown, he said, our stories are not ours to hold. You know, like they are there to share the world. They are there to help others overcome. And that just really sat with me. I'm like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. Um, so I want to definitely get into some keys and strategies here in a minute. Um, but I just want to make sure that all of our viewers and listeners know how to find you, right? Mm -hmm. So if something really resonates with them or they're like, oh, what is that? I need, I'm curious. I have questions. They can definitely come to you as the expert in, in this industry and you know if they're feeling overwhelmed and depleted so again what's the the best way for viewers to find you what's your good content yeah um so my vibrant-living.co is my website that um sort of delineates the coaching program that i have and also i do a biannual cleanse um that's coming up actually in april um that just sort of helps kickstart um People's, and people think of cleanses as like deprivation and this approach to cleanse is really about deep nourishment. Yeah. So it's not about like starving yourself. <laughs> it's about how you actually like, you know, dial it back and start to ask the questions of like, what 
do I need to do right now to deeply nourish, um, nourish myself? And how do I want to feel? And so there's contemplative questions and things like that. So there's a cleanse that's coming up too, but Cool. I love that. So, and just so everyone else knows that will be in the show notes and it's, and it's posted um, on lots of different platforms on how to find yeah. Megan um, and cleanse. Yeah. It's funny. Cause even as a health coach, right. So many women, they're like, Oh, you, you have a cleanse. Right. And I'm like, well, what's your idea of a cleanse? And they'll say, Oh, like detoxing with vinegar. And I'm like, Oh, that does sounds like a terrible cleanse. Like who would want to do that and start yeah, yeah, yeah. for a couple of days um, just to get rid of some of those toxins. Uh, but yeah, it's always interesting. Just just like the word boss up and hustle. We all have our own imprint of what we believe that it is. And yeah, and it's good to hear another coach put like a different spin on cleanse. I love that. It's such a hot topic and people like to do it, but it's, it's really about why is it that you're doing it? Like what's your intention for doing it? And there's nothing wrong and there's no judgment around why, but your why and your what can help you, um, sort of suss out like which cleanse is going to be the right one for you and and how to actually approach a cleanse, you know? So I've done many over my life and (laughs) this is one that is, um, is, is definitely the most nourishing. Beautiful. Awesome. All right. My favorite part. So let's talk keys to your success, tips and strategies that will help other women Mm -hmm. who are listening boss up too. So what would be your biggest key to your success would you think over the last couple of years from pretty much that moment on the hike to now what would you say would be the biggest key to your success uh meditation meditation and meditation is certainly mm -hmm. And for someone who's just starting out on how to meditate, um, mm-hmm. what would be just some some key pointers? Because I know some, I used to think, oh, I don't have like an hour and 30 minutes or a long amount of time, or I don't even know how to get started or where to get started yeah. with that. So, so give us just some basics on that. The tip one, really, um, just follow your breath. Mm-hmm. It is the simplest approach to getting, um, and I'm not going to say still or quiet, but to be aware. Mm. is to simply be aware of the flow of your breath because your life is on your breath, Mm. right? Your life exists within your breath. Right. And so when you tap into just this simple flow, breath in and out, in and out, in and out, you're starting to tap into flow for Mm -hmm. one. You start to feel and you become more sensitive to um, more, more, of what's happening, just what the heck is going on inside. And <laughs> yeah. so what I, a couple of um, things that I would definitely mention for people who, even who are experienced meditators, um, but certainly for beginning meditators um, is to, if you want to start a meditation practice and it's one of the ways in which I, I coach is to Kaizen, which is a Kaizen approach is you start small. You work on building the habit, mm-hmm. not about, getting it right or getting it perfect. It's about progress. And if you want to build a habit that's sustainable long-term, yes. start small. Start with one minute, two minutes, something that seems so simple that it's like so stupid that you can't do it. Right. right? It's so silly. Like, like It's almost like, well, then what's the point? The point is that you're building a habit. You're becoming a meditator, not, um, right? You're becoming a person who meditates adopting the identity of a meditator. And so you start really small. Um, That's number one. Picking a consistent time and place 
to do it um, is number two, something that you can stick with, whether it's the first thing when you wake up or maybe it's if you can consistently do it a minute or two before you go to bed and then incrementally each week adding on, you know, a little bit more time, another minute or two or three or five. Um, another thing I love to mention is that people think that meditation is controlling the mind, mm-hmm. that you have to control your thoughts mm-hmm. and that can't be further from the truth. <laughs> you take a moment to look at your mind and it's jumping all around, right? It's analyzing, it's fixing, it's just doing what it does and what it's meant to do, to analyze, to judge, to criticize, to, you know, that's just what it does. The job of a meditation practice is to become the observer, is to just watch it. Because when you're trying to control, you're efforting and it can be really exhausting. Yeah, and you're trying and to, to force that push. It's You can't shut it off that way. No, you can't <laughs> shut it off. The only way to get more quiet and to get more still is to um, is to watch it, not to, tr- not to control it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can be really challenging for people. Um, but the, the other thing about meditation is that it's a cumulative practice so that the more you do it, the better you, the, the, the more skill you build mm-hmm. at watching and becoming the observer, not in your experiences, but with your experiences. And when you become with your experiences, you become more impactful and powerful to change them. I love that. Um, So, all right, if I just have to quickly recap, your biggest key to your success is meditation. Mm -hmm. And to break that down for the basic person who's trying to like implement this into their daily lifestyle is number one, um, start small, right? Mm -hmm. Small uh, hinges swing very large doors is what I always say. Mm -hmm. And so start small with a one, you know, minute, two minute, three minute follow your breath. So when you feel like your mind's going all over the place, just come back into the breath, come back into the body and just observe, right? And then your third tip on that would be to kind of pick one solid time throughout the day because that's how we build habits and you know rituals and routines is if you know if you're going to try it in the morning, try it in the morning, give it a solid, you know, effort at the morning and then you know like um and if you notice it doesn't fit, then just flex that a little bit. So um, those are beautiful tips. I'll make sure that I get those posted. Thank you so much. Um, And I just appreciate you being here with me today. Um, so with that, I just want to say thank you listening for everyone who's listening. So ladies, boss, babes, and queens, and mamas, I hope that you enjoyed today's boss up babe story tips and Megan's expert advice. In case you missed any part of today's episode, you can always head over to the 365dailyhustle.com website and catch the replay. Join me on April 13th. I'll be right back here on the boss up babe radio show while I'll have my next guest. Miss Christina Ramirez um, with us today. So with that, Megan, thank you so much for being on the Boss of Babe show. I wish you so much thank success. You. Stay you thriving too. out there. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yep. Thank you for listening to the Boss Up Babe radio show with Carissa Adkins, bringing you tangible tips and expert coaching advice to help you boss up and get healthy. Tune in every second and fourth Tuesday at 1230 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com for interviews with industry leaders and powerhouse boss babes that will empower you to take action and live your best life. If you're ready to boss up and work with Carissa in one of her transformative group coaching programs, visit 365dailyhustle.com.